<laughs> so we're live. Um, well, I'm listening to this music. This music is new. This is a, a little bit more mellow uh, than the music that um, Maggie usually makes fun of me for putting on here. So I thought this was a nice little jam. So we have all kinds of new stuff. We have new a new YouTube page. A new YouTube channel, which are we connected to right now? I don't even know. <laughs> yes, we are. We're okay. connected to almost everything that we own. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm so excited because um, this is starting to come together. Our beginners what is this like podcast for beginners <laughs> that's right it's podcast uh, i won't say it because if i say old ladies you're gonna get mad at me <laughs> that's right you and i are gonna go right <laughs> over that uh tunchi because i'm a little bit older than you and i'm not old <laughs> we're, we're old souls honey well, we're young in our bodies but old in our souls oh i kind of feel like it's opposite <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like it's a little bit of opposite. So, well, I feel like it's been a month since last Wednesday. It does feel that way. You know, I did, I did end up with COVID. <laughs> when we were talking last week, you were like, you need to take a COVID test. And um, looking back at that video, I did look very ill. <laughs> you were not feeling well. Mm -hmm. You and, and you weren't going anywhere anyway, but I'm glad you did finally test with your free, probably free government issued COVID That's test correct. that you have there. That's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, I just, when we got off that live, I went to bed and I was like, I feel like everything is being drained out of me right now. Like it took absolutely all of your energy to get through. And I was trying to carry you, but you know, it's not easy because you kept chiming in. I was trying to say <laughs> like it was hurting for you to talk. It, it was like the foot footprints in the sand. I saw where you picked me up and carried me yes. and there was only one set. Of yes. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what, that's exactly what, well, we're talking about, my stomping grounds, my prison stomping grounds tonight and yours for a short time, but my, most of my prison experience happened on the Dr. Lane Murray unit in Gatesville, Texas. That's it. There it is. There it is. Um, I won't, I won't highlight your usual comment about your stars. I'll, I'll let that one go. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, um, I thought I thought that we would, you know, try to highlight each unit and have a good discussion. Um, you know, a lot of times people who have loved ones on the you know inside, they want to know what it's like at each unit. And then uh, it's nice to just compare and hear how different one experience literally up the road can be so different than where you're at. It's, it's really bizarre. Um, and I thought what better place to start than your alma mater, <laughs> the Dr. Lane Murray unit. That's it. That's it. So 
that's that's the road that you the drive that's the driveway we're looking at so um yeah now um i made a little slideshow that we can it was hard to find pictures so i i tried to find the best pictures that i i could um ghostface gangster hi i love hi. the tag i love the name um <laughs> It was a, I'd get into a whole discussion uh, about Scream and stuff. But yeah, so I, I put together some pictures and I thought that, you know, we could just kind of go slide by slide and hear maybe some thoughts or memories that you have um, looking at these photographs. So how do you feel just, and I have to be mindful that we do have our Podbean podcast, so there will be people that can't see the pictures eventually if they're listening to the podcast in a different way. Um, but like you said, this is the entrance. You can see the unit in the background, and there's the big cement block um, sign that says Dr. Lane Murray Unit, Texas Department of Criminal Justice. What do you feel when you see that, Marcy? You, you know that sign, that concrete rectangle emerging from the ground it uh that that's a thing that there's a lot of ladies that i've been um incarcerated with that go back actually and get their picture taken in front of that sign that's a whole thing and so uh when i see that that's what i think now Brittany and i my girlfriend and i went back to the unit she was visiting her friend and i was not anywhere near bold enough to get out of my vehicle and walk over in front of that sign to get, I did not want to give any officer any reason to say anything to me. Um, but there's lots, lots of people that do. So my, I don't have any anxiety looking at this picture and, and it perhaps it's because I have driven back onto that property since I've been out. It kind of reminds me of a tombstone, you know, like <laughs> it's really what it looks like um, to me. I always found it, you know, at, at least the older units kind of they're they're smaller and, and they're different colors or whatever. But this is the, the, the angle of it and everything is it just reminds me of a. I still, like you said, I, you know, I did a short amount of time at Lane Murray when I was 18, um, pretty close to around the time they opened the unit. Uh, some of the buildings weren't even there, like the chapel and stuff, but just, just seeing it, the outside of it makes me feel like I'm 17, 18 years old. And the horror of being on the host squad at Lane Murray at that age. Um, yeah. So let me switch over here and tell me if I hear the, I hear the dogs. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I'm going to switch over and tell me if you can see the next, uh, slide there it is <clears throat> so here is the aerial view of lane murray and i'm going to try to use my can you see my pointer on the screen i can okay so this was the area that you came in right where the cars are and then uh, the staff parking lot visitor parking lot um yeah. And then, and then you go in. So what is this little building right here? Do you know, I don't. Is that, that's the guard shack right yeah. when you get to the gate? I don't. Oh, it must be. No, because that would be further down. I don't know what that little building is. 
I don't even remember seeing that. <laughs> Shush! Oh my gosh. Your your dogs always, they feel very left out when we start talking. <laughs> I hear that snapping. I feel like I'm in church with my mom. <laughs> Okay. Are you back? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, all right. So this main building here is, this is where visitation is. Yes. That's admin warden's offices. Um, I want to make sure I'm looking at it. Yeah. And visitation is all right there. So, um, and it's air conditioned in that building. Right. So here we see the, the many air conditioning <laughs> units on the, on the roof there. And then there's the gate where you enter into main street. So anybody that's actually watching, um, you see this long sidewalk. It's a very wide sidewalk, um, that stretches the whole unit. Um, so when, when you hear Marcy say on main street, this is, it's like main street in a, a down, you know, a downtown somewhere. This is, this is Congress. This is Congress right. Avenue. Um, that's where all the stuff happens. So this is where you're actually entering. Um, you know, everything is surrounded by that fence, but that perimeter fence. But this is where you cross over into this gate. And so this building right here, this square building, which one is that? So so um, what it is is if you're not seeing the aerial view, it is, it's literally a, she, Jennifer described a sidewalk, but it's wider than your average um, residential street. And where inmates walk is all the way to either side of that. But it is, it's, it's, a we call it main street and it's as wide as a street. And then there's buildings placed on either side of those. So the buildings on one side of main street are all living quarters. That side, that's right, Jennifer. So that that's all living quarters. But on the other side, it starts with um, an education building that stands alone. And that education building has um, air conditioning. <laughs> uh -huh. So um, the classrooms in there are pretty typical of what you would think any traditional classroom would look like, um, with the exception of there are um, prison guards walking around. And of course, that's not too different than high schools nowadays um, and even middle schools, right? With um, they have school uh, police officers that are dedicated to walking around that area. So, and your library's in here too. I think this almost whole section down here would have been y'all's library. <laughs> Yes. Library. I'm sorry. Lori will make fun of me for saying library. <laughs> yes, library. Uh-huh. So what is the um, little building here? That the, the next building um, on that same side of the main street is the gym. So the gym, a, a building that rarely gets used. It gets right. used for right. lockdowns. Um, it gets used for, yeah, shakedowns. The staffing, ideally, if everything was um, 
working according to policy and the way that it's all supposed to work fully staffed, um, they, the gym would be open for, they would have aerobics classes. There's a couple televisions in there and a bunch of workout videos in there. There is some exercise equipment. There are some basketball goals that um, I think in a <laughs> better ran facility, you might have actual basketball games. There's a volleyball net that they can set up. Um, in the 10 years that I was there, none of that ever happened. I think that they had open call gym time less than 10 times in 10 years. Jeez. Oh. Now, Marcy, I, I, I want to talk about the gyms in, in women's prisons. Because you're highlighting something that happened at every single freaking unit I was at. Every single unit. You would have a really nice gym, right? Like the gym at Mountain View, I mean, we did pressure them a lot more to, to use it. Like we even put a mural on the wall. Um, we, we had a... Um, you know, a long time ago, they used to have what were called coaches. There, there was somebody that was a staff member that was a coach, like a PE coach that ran the gym, and then they got rid of them in the late 90s. But we had an officer that, like, I think he was a one of the ACA compliance people, right? But he made sure that there were – we had to have activities. You had to show that you were doing activities at the unit, so he would – we had volleyball tournaments. We had conferences in there. Um, so he was responsible for that. Now, until he came along and did that, that gym was never used. The gym at Riverside, full of dead crickets. Um, and it, they absolutely hated inclement weather because our rec yard at Mountain View was literally, you just walk across the street. And I mean, like sidewalk, there's the gym. Mm -hmm. And they hated us. To, they would have us in inclement weather one degree away and be like, oh, well, oh, well, <laughs> stay out here. And I never understood what their resistance was for us to actually utilize the gym. I love that Mountain View unit, which is a hop, skip and a jump away from the unit we're talking about, would even offer inclement weather ever because that's something. So TDCJ policy says that we're supposed to have um, outside recreation X amount of times offered to us a day. Um, and when it's and then policy goes on to say when it's inclement weather, when the weather does not allow for inmates to recreate outside, they are allowed to have gym time as recreation. <laughs> that doesn't happen on Lane Murray. I, I, maybe. I mean, I can say three times and that might be a stretch. I remember them calling that over a decade. So well, yeah, th that's not happening. Looking at the buildings on this layout, the gym is the smallest building there other than the strip shack in, right. in the back gate, which should also be bigger. Um, but you've got, how many, how many people are housed at Lane Murray? Almost 1,300, so. 1,300 for that little bitty gym. Um, and you, y'all had the craft shop in there. So how often did, were y'all able to use the craft shop? Never? Well, now the craft shop was out of all of those women at any given time between four and eight 
women that got to be participating in that program. It was very strict. They wanted someone, they wanted people that had lengthy sentences. They wanted people that had absolutely zero disciplinary cases, which on this unit in particular was a big challenge. That wasn't something that was easy to accomplish because you could get in trouble for anything. You right. could get in trouble for accidentally leaving a piece of trash in your cubicle that you didn't realize was even there. So yeah, that definitely happened. So um, yeah, that, the craft shop, and I don't have any experience with the craft shop. So that interesting side note um, for the folks listening is that the, the craft shops uh, at the women's units, uh, again, way back in the nineties and eighties, they, we had incel, what they call peddling craft that you could do crocheting and all this other stuff. And you could sell it to officers. Um, <clears throat> you could send it home. Well, they got rid of it or they very like tightly controlled it. Like, like Marcy's saying. Um, so that was a source of income, like, because you could literally sell that to the staff members. Um, and the men, they still have very robust <laughs> craft shops where they do leather work, um, all kinds of stuff. And so when we talk about higher education and women not being able to afford their college classes, they always point to the men and say, well, will the men afford these classes? Well, first of all, their support is different. And second of all, they have craft shops that they sell leather work. Um, you'll see a lot of the legislators will brag about their boots and their, their belts and their uh, bags that, that they bought from people incarcerated. So just wanted to highlight that for another topic, for another yeah. discussion. Yeah. In that same little building, along with the gym and the craft shop, that's where the beauty shop is. Also. Oh, my God. So you've got all three of Wow. That's a right. super tiny space for over a thousand women to try to utilize that during the inclement weather. Well, it was never open either. So God. it doesn't matter what size it was. <laughs> we cut oh. our hair with, um, we had to cut our hair and each other's hair with uh, blades out of razors or like my my length of hair, long hair. I would use toenail clippers to keep my hair cut. I never once was able to get a haircut my entire time I was there. Boy, I, I feel like when we have our night where we go through Mountain View pictures, you're, you're going to talk gonna a little <laughs> You're going to get mad. I'm gonna um, be mad. <laughs> so let's move on to this big building. What so is that's a, it's a, the, the biggest building just about, I think on, on the layout that we're looking at. And that has the, it has several different things in it. It has from right to left, it has the laundry is right there. And then the chow hall is in the middle. And then it has medical. It's all in that one building. Yeah, and the pill line window is like right over here in the far right. left. Okay. Right. Right at the end of that building is where the pill line is connected to medical. Yeah, and, and those are conditioned. The, <laughs> right. It's so funny. Medical, that part of the, that building is air conditioned, but the chow hall and laundry where the hottest equipment is used um, is not air conditioned. Yeah. Um, tell us about... <laughs> because I've one of the worst experiences at Lane Murray for me, obviously other than the host squad was the chow hall and the food. 
So tell us, give us an idea of what, what was the chow hall like in terms of the food and the things that happened in the chow hall? So um, the way that the unit runs chow is they're going to ha have a ranking officer outside the chow hall and they're going to call um, shots of chow by dorm. So they'll say, give me 30 from chow from K1 alpha. And then when that when everybody who's turned out from K1 has gone to chow, they're going to call the next dorm. So first of all, you don't know when you're going to eat because chow that runs about two and a half to three hours. So you don't know, are you going to eat at 11 or are you going to eat at one? You know what I mean? So that's a little bit challenging, but then you line up and you go, you walk in the line in the chow hall. You have to stay in that line. You are not, um, I've gotten a case for waving at my friend on the other side of the chow hall, not talking, not jumping up and down, waving my hands, not disruptive, not um, secretly communicating, sign, signing to her, um, like, you know, but literally I've gotten a disciplinary case for seeing my friend who I've known for years and we didn't live together anymore and waving at her from across the way. So as soon as you get in there, the officers are, they hate that duty post. So even the officers that are more relaxed and uh, not so rude are a little bit rude <laughs> in those duty posts. You know, it's just, especially in the summer, if it's, if it's 110 outside in that chow hall, I promise it's 140. It's ridiculous, um, ridiculously hot. People will, in the summer, they'll wet their shirt um, and then put a wet shirt on to go to the chow hall so that, so um, anyways, you go through the line and you have to start eating at the minute that you step out of the line, you have to start eating off of your tray as you're walking to your chair. So, and you're sitting, you have to sit in the same order. So you walk through the line and then you sit just filling the tables up in the same order. So, um, and you're, you're stuffing your face. <laughs> there's no time to talk or there's no time to say this is good. There's no time to look around to see anything or, um, to even hardly breathe, honestly. So yeah, that's how that is. It's, it's not a pleasant experience. A lot of um, people that I was incarcerated with intentionally avoided going to the chow hall. It's somewhere that you can get in trouble very easily for nothing. Um, so if you're trying to stay out of trouble, I mean, when I made parole, Jennifer, I never went back to the chow hall, not once. Mm. Well, it, <laughs> you know, I, I remember um, not just when I was younger, having to go in the chow hall, but also, we went to a week-long peer education conference. All the units came to Lane Murray um, to have that training, and we had to eat lunch. And it was just horrific. And um, people that were with me that had never left Mountain View before were in tears, like because that is how drastically different the experience was in terms of the food, the staff, the environment, um, the heat, 
So it, it it's crazy to have like just such a radically different experience, literally not even a mile away from each other. You know, we had um, anytime volunteers came in for any religious services or anything like that, that's something that they would go through the chow hall and eat. And the kitchen bosses would know volunteers were eating that day and they would, we would all on the unit, we'd get excited. We're like, Oh, volunteers are here. We're going to eat better than we normally would because they would step up their game. And so I remember about my seventh or eighth year in sitting in the chow hall. And it was the kind of situations where the volunteers were coming in and sitting right with us even um, because sometimes they eat in ODR, right. But they're eating on our side and we're thinking, Hey, this meal, this is pretty good. And the, and those ladies were shocked at the quality, the low quality of that oh. food. And I was just, it was embarrassing that I, it was embarrassing to me that I was enjoying that meal thinking, Hey, this is really good. But that just kind of gives you like a baseline of what I had grown accustomed to right. and what they were expecting. So Right. Um, so I know that we have the chats that you and I can see from YouTube and I don't know why we can't see the Facebook chats, but I'm kind of monitoring that. And um, Chris, uh, Chris says, you know, most chow hall meals sucked anyway, but the food always got better when visitors <laughs> or legislators or any type of uh, any type of visitor to the unit. Um, it got better so much, so, so much better. Um, you know, and I remember us when we ate, when we ate there, I remember spitting out rocks. I remember there was a little sliver of glass and twigs and literally dirt in our food at Lane Murray. And, and not just from the time I was a teenager to the time we went to the training, um, that never changed, never changed. Rocks was normal. Uh -huh. Rocks, especially in the beans, th that was normal. You you learned not to take a bite and first. Right. You, learned <laughs> right. to, <laughs> you learned to make sure and roll that around in your mouth for a moment. Before you bit down on it. Yeah, and you there know, were people that chipped their teeth mm -hmm. on rocks. That was not that uncommon. And, and, and what you said about like, you have to start eating. So you have 20 minutes by policy, you have 20 minutes in the chow hall and that starts from the moment you get in the door and you're like, well, logically that doesn't make sense. If it takes you 20 minutes to be, they don't care. Start eating it. As soon as you are on, you better just start eating it. Like you said, Jennifer, and I Go ahead. it never was 20 minutes though. It never right. was even, it, right. I don't remember any one time that it was 10 minutes and I had my little commissary purchased watch and, um, <laughs> just, you know, and I remember checking it out and being like, wow, we, I literally went through that in four and a half minutes. And it's, that was not unusual. What? It wasn't unusual for me to, I, I used to make kind of a game out of being in the dorm and timing the ladies from the time they left the dorm to come back. And oftentimes it was seven minutes Jeez. <laughs> and that's leaving the dorm, going through the chow hall line and getting back and coming back. Well, you know, when I was 18 years old and I was on the host squad, I was starving and I didn't have commissary. I didn't have any, you know, I didn't have any commissary funds and, and those were some hard years, but 
I was hungry. I was starving. I was young. I was working in the fields. And sometimes I would cry at night in my sleep because I was so hungry. And I, I didn't ask people for food. I didn't, I, I knew better than that. Right. I, I just knew that I had to eat whatever was in the chow hall. And when you are not eight, when you literally can't eat your food and you're told to get out, like you are shoving that while you're putting yes. your, your tray in the slot, you were shoving food in your mouth. And I remember just being like a, like a, like a starved animal when I was at that age, because I, you know, I, I was working in the fields. I was young. Yes, that's exactly. That's anybody that, um, you, okay. So that's, that's one thing. If you, in my experience, so I went to the store. So if I'm going to chow and I'm sitting with people that don't go to store and I'm watching them kind of shovel their food in, I'm, I'm handing them my, some of my food because they are hungry. It's not enough. It's not enough food to keep you from being hungry. Right. It's not enough to begin with. And then you don't have any time to eat what you do have. Um, right. It's the same thing about being on restriction. Anytime I was ever on commissary restriction and my box had finally depleted of my commissary items, it was that same, that same feeling. It's a, it's a little bit of a desperate feeling. You know, you need those calorie intakes, especially if you're working a manual labor job like host squad. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about um, medical. <laughs> so this is a, a respite area, meaning it is an area with air conditioning that you could hopefully beg and plead to go cool down in. But I, I really want to talk about what did, what was your experience of medical care at Lane Murray? If any, did, did well, you avoid that place as well? No. Um, oh gosh. My first um, pap smear in prison on the Dr. Lane Murray unit. Now, Jennifer, I'm a mother of five. I've had five babies, one, two, three, four, five, all delivered naturally, all vaginal deliveries. So I'm going to my, um, I'm at, I'm at the pap smear. I'm, I'm there. I'm getting my pap smear and people had warned me that they had warned me. And I said, well, I'm, I'm getting one because I'm going, I have a 20 year sentence. And I want to make sure I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I'm 30 years old and I'm, I'm getting my pap smear, you know? And um, anyways, the nurse practitioner, and he might've been a physician's assistant. I don't remember which one he was, but he was in the middle of the exam. Like the tools are opened me up and he's in there. And he looks at me and he says, well, I can tell that you haven't had any children. What the fuck? <laughs> and I, my eyes kind of got big, I'm sure. And I said, sir. And he said, well, they, <laughs> you, you aren't able to, your, your um, uterus is inverted. And I can tell that you've never been able to have children. And I said, well, I, I have five. <laughs> You know, and he said, oh, C-sections? No, no, I have five, you know, five that I delivered. And uh, so that was my first taste of the medical department 
at the Dr. Lamer's. Well, and that that really um, encapsulates the inadequacies of unit medical right there. Like, I, I think anybody who has done time in TDCJ hearing that story, they're going to be like, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that completely and 100%. Um, I, I had a PA, a physician's assistant, who was giving me a pap smear and in the middle of it, Marcy, in the middle of it, stopped and picked up his piece of cake from the ODR. What? And began to eat it while he was staring at my vagina. What? He was like, the cake is good in the chow hall today. And I'm like, I feel so awkward. Yes. And, and that was a light story. Like, I have real horrific stories about pap smears and um, pelvic exams for myself and other women. We uh, had to get one of the PAs walked off the unit. Um, there was an investigation like you say pap smear and every woman in TDCJ is like, damn, like you, like you said, I don't want to go do it. I hear the horror stories, but I need to take care of my health. At least the lab reports, I can go look at myself, even if the man doesn't you can't see that I've had five kids. Lab work doesn't lie. But the process of going through that and painful, like I knew women that had had children and, and, you know, in a course with men that were like, that is the most painful pap smear. I remember my first one, I cried. Like I was laying there crying. Um, they don't give a damn. They don't give a damn. No, so. there's for sure. There's no um, bedside manner um, for the most part. I, I will say um, years later, I got a spider bite on my knee and it was a pretty, it was a, pr it got pretty ugly. Um, and they were, uh, they were, <laughs> I don't know if they were just intrigued with my injury or, or my ailment, but um, I had to go several times to get it like redressed and, and that kind of stuff. But they, I got good care then. Uh, but that was, that's the only time I don't know. And I'm not saying, you know, these are people with their degrees and with their education, and I'm not saying they don't know what they're doing. I just think that a lot of times, even they just adapt to their environment. They adapt to their workplace. They hear how the officers are treating us. There's an officer in medical treating us that way. Right. Um, and I think that that happens a lot. They kind of lose their compassion for why they even got into that field. Um, yeah, no, I, so. I agree with you. It, it, people that may, um, you know, that are a lot of times they're working in the prison system because they've had some type of probation or um, some type of trouble somewhere else. Uh, but, but like you said, you know, it's kind of a desensitizing that starts to happen um, within that culture, definitely. So uh, I want to move on here to this big building. What is this big building? So I'll I'll say that 
um, the last building on the right-hand side down Main Street, well, almost the last building, right? You have to go through a locked gate to get into that building. <laughs> it's, um, there's a, a, like it's closed. You have to stand there and wait. Now there is a keypad thing that has a button on it, but they get furious and raged mm -hmm. if you push right. that button. <laughs> right. So um, what they want to happen is for them to be sitting in the control room and um, see you on camera and know to open that gate. But that's not all the way all the time it works. So uh, anyways, that nobody tells you you're not supposed to push the button. So I also got yelled at <laughs> horrifically yelled at for yes. hitting that button um, when I first got there to ironically get into the privileged dorm or the, the honor pod or whatever other kind of terminology people use for um, incarcerated individuals that maybe are low, low risk because they have low disciplinary history. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's where I was when I first got to the unit. I, I lived there like three different times. So I remember when F dorm, it's still called F dorm, right? It is. Okay. Okay. So I lived in, I think FC, um, but it had its own little gym and then it's they converted it to the, the dog program where the ladies stayed there. That's right. It does have, uh, they, I will say their rec yard is the best rec yard on right. the unit. It's the biggest rec yard and almost the only rec yard that you can play volleyball without constantly. I mean, the razor wire eats volleyballs. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so mm -hmm. all the other rec yards are small enough that it, it you're only going to play for a few minutes before one of the balls ends up in a, in the razor wire. So yeah, that's the biggest rec yard. And in there, there is a gym. Um, now I got there in 2010 and that, had already been converted to the Patriot Paws program, which is the program where uh, inmates train dogs for veterans. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, this little building to the left of F dorm, what is that? That's so the last building on the unit is the chapel Mm -hmm. That's the church house. Um, that's where um, all the volunteers come in <laughs> to indoctrinate. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just very, we're in the Bible Belt, so it's very, 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 very Christian. Um, there are other services available, and one of the other bigger services where you actually do have a volunteer come in is the Muslim. They have a Muslim program, but all religious services are based out of that building. I remember we used to have our uh, peer education conferences here, either here or in the gym, but mostly in the chapel. It's one of the newer buildings that relatively uh, speaking. Um, and it looks very different inside. Uh, and I'll show everybody a picture in just a second, but um where is the hospice, not the hospice, but the medical unit that they built within Murray? Where would it be? Because this is an older map. No, it's not a new building. So no, it's not? 
No, they converted. Um, I don't know if it's one or two of the dorms in F dorm. Oh, so it's in F dorm. Yes. And they've air conditioned two of those dorms. Okay. So none of the inmate housing is air conditioned, except now they do have, um, they're trying to, I don't know that they've actually moved hospice patients in. I don't know the status of that, but I do know that the construction has happened. The air conditioning has happened. Um, and what they're doing is because those dorms are two floor, they're going to have like, um, regular general population inmates on the second floor because that's not obviously not a viable place for a hospice patient getting up and down the stairs and then a, ho a hospital or hospice patients on underneath. And I don't well, know the logistics of that, but I do speak to enough people on that unit that I, I'm aware of that's what's going on so far. Well, that's crazy, right? Because you have general population with a vulnerable population. Um, and then, you know, you're in, you're in F dorm in the upper tier getting air conditioning. And then the K dorms, you're like, there's no difference between you and I, you're just out of luck. Right. Yeah. I think it, it could cause all kinds of problems. Right. And then the other thing I'm just thinking about, already the the mental anguish that you kind of experience just being incarcerated and watching inhumane treatment of people that you grow to care about. Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine how much more so that would be um, for a population that really, really can't do much about it, right? You're already as a, as being incarcerated, you already have such a little voice and such little, um, capability to defend yourself or act on your behalf. But I just can't imagine um, being in a hospice situation and having to see that. Oh, I, I can't either. I mean, one of my first memories at the unit at Lane Murray was standing outside a commissary, which is next to the laundry, next to the um, chow hall in that building. And you know, that was a debacle anyway, but re I remember standing there and it was pouring rain and you, you, you know, you can't help the ladies in the wheelchairs. Don't touch them. Don't touch their wheelchair. And there's actually a little slope that, that the main street has. So these women are pushing as much as they can and you just got to walk by them. And in the heat, they would be rolling as long as it took them to get there in the heat. And then this one lady was in the rain dropping stuff, whatever her little property was. And she had a cane and she fell trying to pick it up. And it's just like, people are just walking officers, staff. And there's this old lady with a cane laying on the ground and it's pouring rain and nobody, it's almost like she wasn't there. That's how people acted like, Oh, well, like she's just not even there. Um, and and I, I will never forget that scene in my mind. So that one scene, and and that's the maybe the first one that comes to your mind. But I know that there are hundreds like it because there are hundreds in my mind that that has that same kind of scenario has happened, and it's definitely not a lack of compassion from other um, incarcerated ladies because we want to help each other, but that's a disciplinary action, right? So it would be the kind of situation that if there wasn't any officer around 
I would probably take the chance and be helping and just hope that right. the person in line control or, you know, that somebody didn't come out and start yelling or, and, or write me up, write, write a disciplinary case up. And those cases add up and they affect your freedom. They mm -hmm. affect your chances at parole. They affect if you can talk to your kids on the phone. They affect if you can hug them at visitation. And it's serious. So how do you go from, or how does the state expect for people to go from that, where we are just walking by someone that is in need, to now we're in our communities, and how are we supposed to treat our neighbors? Right. When, you, when you've been trained to, number one, self-preserve, you know, I can't afford disciplinary. I can't do any of that. And some of it too, Marcy, was, you know, not just watching how elderly and disabled people were treated and neglected, but also just seeing levels of violence or medical emergencies. Um, the only way to cope with that inside is to dissociate and compartmentalize it and turn yourself off and not feel. And it's really hard. And I discovered that in my life journey, um, it's really hard to turn that back on and you have to work really hard with a lot of therapy to turn that switch back on. And it's not, like you said, it's not for being evil or nasty or cruel hearted. It is, you cannot cope with those feelings and there's a helplessness to it that there's nothing you can do. Um, and you're just forced to bear witness to it and do nothing. So you just turn off. I mean, that was the only way I knew how to deal with it. Very much so. I, I mean, those coping skills that we have to be able to deal with that um, trauma when it's active trauma, we're right in the middle of it. That's one thing that I just um, remember we laughed a lot about things that were not really laughable moments. Like it, it's, it's really not funny to be in the strip shack coming in from host squad and have to have your, all your feminine products off and out of your body and you're on your cycle and um, you're getting yelled at and it's 20 people crammed in this small mm -hmm. space and it smells horrible. We've been outside working and, and we were, we would, laugh and crack jokes about that kind of stuff, but it wasn't funny. We were just having to deal with it some way. And it was kind of one of those, what is that saying? You either have to laugh or cry right. kind of things. <laughs> yeah, no. And I think all of us um, that, that know each other and, and spend time together in our group chats, <laughs> our group texts, there is a lot of dark humor there. Um, and, you know, I had somebody one time make a comment, um, I don't know if it was on my Facebook or something that I had made a joke uh, about, you know, something that related to prison. I'd made a joke about it or whatever. And, uh, you know, she was like, well, I, you know, I think the criminal justice system is, is, you know, a serious matter. And it's, I find so much that it's not easy to laugh about. I said, well, ma'am, after 20 years, sometimes all you have is a sense of humor. Um, that's all you have it, that and dissociating. So, um, and those of us that have, have spent time inside, we know how valuable humor really is. It, it really like you look now and back on some of that stuff and it's like, man, that wasn't funny. Like, I still think it's funny, but at the same time, I know deep down it's not, but I didn't know how to survive, um, any other way. And I want to show people this little 
area right here. That's the strip shack. Another horrible experience. If you've ever had to be stripped in and out at Lane Murray, it's this tiny little bitty room. And uh, those host squad bosses stripping you in and out. Mm -mm. I I've never been so degraded as a woman in my entire life. Never had an experience except at Hobby. Uh, and that's for another time. Well, I don't want to have to zoom through this, but we're getting close to our time. I'm just going to show everybody else that these buildings here that are in the shape of a T, I guess, across, what do you call that? Well, yeah, kind of a yeah. short T. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So these are the cell blocks, correct? Yeah, those are both the cell block buildings. So the one that's directly across from the chapel and from F dorm, that's where um, closed custody is that's for long-term solitary confinement um yeah that's that building and i that's the first time i ever knew that people could be housed in solitary confinement for years and that's that's where they are and then the next building is cell block housing medium custody housing is there and then these three are the K dorms. So these are dormitories, correct? Right. Then there's three more dorms. So there's six dorms, six buildings that house inmates on that unit. And the three that are look just alike, those are the K dorms. And there's 204 women in each of those dorms. So two, two pods in each dorm. So let me go to the next. That's the outside uh, perimeter fence. i I remember sticking my hands inside of there to pull those weeds and pulling back <laughs> bloody nubs. Um, yeah, so these women here, they're either on the yard or on the probably the host squad cleaning around the perimeter fence. Um, yeah, that's and you'll for see sure. That razor <laughs> wire, <laughs> golly. I mean, I don't know how many times people's heads, because you have to, those, you see, there's ladies that, some ladies are holding an Aggie and it, the Aggie is shoved in this ringed razor wired bunch that's on the ground around the unit so that people maybe don't shimmy under the fence. And so there are a few women that are holding the fence, the razor wire up. The other women are all on their knees underneath that razor mm -hmm. wire that the Aggies are perilously holding <laughs> up um, so that weeds can get pulled. And that's what's happening. They're on their, they're, <laughs> it's not a safe place. And I cannot mm -hmm. believe no one's, I can't believe no one's been hospitalized or, or no one that I know of, not to say no one, no one that I know of has been hospitalized for this. It's so dangerous. And those Aggies slip. Yeah. They slip. So and and <laughs> Marcy, I want people to know that that razor wire, I mean, it is like, it really is the sharpest, like thinnest, I mean, just barely bump up against it. And it is slice and dice, like unbelievable. Uh, like when I, I hear about people crawling over this, these razor wires, like during escapes and stuff, like, and, you know, they're saying, oh, they barely live. They had to get them down. They are bleeding to death. Like the, that razor wire is not a joke. Um, 
Let me go to the next yeah. picture. Oops. I'm yeah, sorry. that's it's blades. It's blades. So this is the chapel. Wow. I want the, everybody that can see this. Take a look at how nice the stage is, the little mural in the background and, you know, the ladies in their chairs. It seems like, a, oh, okay. You know, the chapel is not indicative of the rest of the unit. No, it's not. No, it's definitely not. What What's funny about that chapel is the chaplain's office um, has, her office is right next to easily the most terrific officers on the unit, which oh, would yeah. be the, the safe safe prison. prison's officers. And it's just, you know, it's just... Um, shocking that the chaplain has to hear them all the time it's it's yeah you know, marcy we have to do a whole episode on safe prisons oh, yeah, for, <laughs> for on, sure. um, you know what the intent of the prison rape elimination act and safe prisons is um i taught it for many years but what what does that look like on a women's unit y'all have to stay tuned for that because it's it's the most dreadful um, part about uh, being incarcerated as a woman in TDCJ. Now I got this picture. I think it's from a men's unit, but this reminded me a lot of F dorm. Right. That is definitely the cubicle style housing. So um, the way that half of the dorms on that unit are is um, instead of a cell, it's a cubicle. If you can imagine, if you're not seeing the picture, if you can imagine an office cubicle that's half size. Um, and basically in each cubicle is just room for your small bunk and then that same amount of walking space as your bunk took up. So it's very, it's very small. Uh, there's storage underneath our bunk. It's a metal box that's um, welded onto the bottom of our metal bunk. And that's where we have to store all of our stuff. Um, and I, I have to say, I didn't, I mean, I, as far as prison goes, it was, it, it, at least I felt like I had my own space. It wasn't bunk beds and a bunch of, in an open dorm or, um, you know, and Veronica has a great point. She says it's just enough room to do a push up. That's exactly how much walking space you have in that cubicle. And I can do a full workout in that amount of space. <laughs> it's really amazing what we can adapt to as humans. Um, so, it, you know, I, I found this picture and this is at a men's unit um, during COVID and I'm looking at all the stuff on the table mm -mm. and I can feel, I can feel myself there again. Like I almost feel a little bit of panic because it's like, I remember that insert cup. I remember sitting that on the corner in my being in my jacket when it was cold and that hot pot there and, those sh like I can just feel it all because that is exactly um, what that space looks like. You know that um, that's that's exactly right. We're we're looking at um, and there is an inmate we we can't see his face and this picture was uh, publicly posted online, but um, it's it's an inmate and he is sleeping in his jacket. <clears throat> 
because the temperatures control in there is nothing, right? We, we are whatever it is outside. That's how those warehouses, warehouse-like buildings feel. Whatever the temperature is outside, that's pretty close to how it feels. It's a, Veronica says, yeah, I'm looking at this and I have weird feelings of comfort, yet no comfort at all. I mean, you said it best, like, right? Like I feel the comfort of like, especially when me and Alexa had the flu, like being nestled up there and all my stuff right there at the table and not being mm -hmm. bothered. And, and like you said, having my own, at least this own little yeah. tiny space, but it feels comforting. But at the same time, I have no comfort at all. And the way that it makes me feel just looking at it now, it's, yeah. Um, let me show the last, I think this is the last. So this picture isn't as great, but I wanted to make sure that I showed a picture of essentially what ADSEG uh, in cell block, close custody um, ADSEG looks like. And this is pretty accurate, like down to the mattress, the, the metal toilet, the torn up, paint on the wall, the table. Um, what I still love, and and I just can't help but notice, any publicly posted um, picture of the inside of the prison, even as dreary as these walls look, when you go in, they are full of graffiti, desperate cries for help, prayers written on the wall, religious figures um, drawn on the wall, you know, and so it, TDCJ never shows that, right? right. Um, and, and it's clean. It doesn't look clean because you see the rusted paint and you see, but I can tell right now when I, when anytime I've been in ADSEG, which has been at least, at least minimally six that I've spent the night there. I've been in those cells a lot more than that. Um, but the toilet would be completely horribly on the inside. So, and, and there is, there is somebody saying, and I share this space with another person. So this is also the same size and the same setup as a two man cell on Lane Murray. Mm -hmm. Um, it would just be bunk beds instead. So, right. um, yeah, definitely a two man cell in cell block housing, they are housed together, but this is what we're looking at now without the bunk bed. This is a solitary confinement cell. Um, that mattress is a pretty good portrayal of our mattresses. Also, I'm kind of impressed that they even put that online, frankly, because I, I, it, I think it, it was a contraband picture. Do you know every, it, it, and it might be a contraband picture because yeah. every picture that I see, they have pillows it makes yeah. me so angry. We didn't have pillows and they don't have pillows now, right. but they want the public to think that they have a pillow to sleep on. No, they sleep on that mat. Yeah. And I, you know, flip that mat over and it's liable to be gutted and ripped uh, at the bottom of it. And, you know, when that happens, there's no telling what's inside of it, including bugs. Um, it, it literally is third world country type of conditions, you know, and, and we're talking about the state of Texas. Uh, well, and just recently, um, just recently we got denied extradition because of our con prison conditions. We wanted someone, 
that was wanted in the state of Texas and they were out of country and that country said, sorry, you don't, you don't meet the standards for that. Right. We're, not, we're, not, <laughs> we're not going to some third world country. This is the United States that this is happening to and people are not sending people over to in our prisons. That's what kind of horrible conditions they are. And um, so Big Cinco is on here and I'm not sure, maybe, maybe he's incarcerated now. Um, but if, I feel if, like that's what he's trying to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he said most mats have black mold on the bottom. Yeah. 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 It's an ugly, it's an ugly situation for sure. Um, well, Marcy, we are at eight. We sure are. We sure are. <laughs> <laughs> Down uh, memory main street, at Lane Murray. <laughs> Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to compare this um, to other units. So we'll have to we'll have to find somebody at each unit. I mean, I can talk about Mountain View, but uh, it would be interesting. Even though I've been at Crane, it, it's still really great to hear other people's perspectives. So um, y'all that are watching and listening, um, if you would like to be on here with me and Marcy and tell us about the unit that you did time at Plain State, that's another bad one. Um, we would, we would like to hear it. Lockhart, it, that's certainly a different experience. So, um, it sure is. It sure I, is. Ronald was on hobby. My girlfriend was on hobby. Um, yeah, yeah, we, we definitely need to do that, but we, we have a lots of things to talk about, right? This is just the beginning. And remember y'all. It is eventually we're going to just be streaming to our channel. We're trying to get everybody used to us being live on Wednesday, but um, we're going to be on the rec yard, a women's prison podcast. Um, I'm trying to, I should have put it in the chat already, or at least highlighted it. Um, talk Marcy while I pull it up. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, definitely. And you guys, if, if, um, wherever you're watching now, I promise that we'll have a, a link to that. Um, so I think even on our YouTube channels, on our personal YouTube channels, there's a spot for us to say shared channel or cha uh, channels. I saw that today and I'll make sure that we connect all of that. Um, and it's, thank you. It's at on the rec yard. And okay, so that's the handle on YouTube. All right, on because backyard, and I think we we're just starting. Like it just went live just moments ago. <laughs> just <much>. moments. <laughs> we need uh, subscribers for sure. So, <laughs> yes, yes, and um, <laughs> my old bunkie from K two is on here too. But uh, so so thank y'all for joining. We have to get off here because we hit our limit but um it was so good to see everybody thanks for the comments and the great feedback and uh yeah jennifer thanks to i'll see you soon next wednesday y'all <laughs> bye y'all see you at rec bye <laughs>